If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to CMO Moves, the podcast that uncovers the human side of game-changing leaders. Hear their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and how they got to become leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. We hope you enjoy their stories, their advice, and take away some tips and inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning into another episode of CMO Moves. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to take just a minute and say thank you. I want to thank everyone who's continued to be loyal listeners of this podcast. A lot of you have been um, there since the very beginning when Nadine Dietz first started this. And then about a year ago, she handed the baton over to me. And, and since then, I've just, I've felt very humbled to get to know all these incredible leaders. And if you ever have any feedback thoughts, you know where to find us. Um, We're always open to new ideas. I'll tell you the duos episode was something that came from the community to pair two CMOs together on the show. So we're always game for new and exciting things to keep it fun. With that, I'd love to welcome to the show today's guest, Eddie Rivas, CMO of Magnolia Bakery. Hi, Eddie. Hi, Heidi. How are you? Doing well. Eddie, did I say your last name right? Rivas? It's Revis, but... Oh, dang it. I had a 50-50 chance there. Some people so, are really particular, and I, I am not one of them. Well, it's, it's funny. We should be, though, right? It's our names. And we're always just like, you can say it however you want. However you feel. You know what? I Look, it's your journey, how you want to say it. It's up to you. I'm lucky because I have a first name that you can't really get wrong. And no, so I feel blessed. I feel blessed name. for that. Exactly. I feel blessed for that. Well, everybody, you can see already how optimistic Eddie is. So uh, let's get to know you a bit better. Tell 
tell us about where you're from, where are you now, and what your role is currently. Yeah, absolutely. So you'll hear it come out as I talk. I am from Midwest originally. I grew up in a town about two hours away from Chicago, but I spent there my- There it is, Chicago. There it is, right there. <laughs> I, spent, uh, I spent my formative college years in Illinois. I worked a little bit after college in Chicago in the ad agency scene. And then I embarked on that all great adventure to New York City about 11 years ago. So I've been based in New York City ever since. Great opportunities to travel the world and and work with teams across the world, but home base has always been New York City. And uh, my current role is Chief Marketing Officer for the beloved Magnolia Bakery. And what brought you first to New York? Was it a job or did you just want to live there and then find a job there? Oh, it was this it was one of those moments where career and personal life and ambition and goals all hit at once. And I, I tell the story all the time, so I'll tell it here for all, for all the listeners. <laughs> I was sitting at a friend's apartment who I'd gone to college with. A couple of babies were getting passed around the backyard and it was a summer barbecue and all this. So it was great. It was with your best friend from college. And I'd been in Chicago for about three to four years. And I looked around and I said, oh, I'm too comfortable. I, I can't do this. I got to go. And within two weeks, I had decided to move to New York, found a job and jumped on a one-way ticket plane. <laughs> so I, I just felt like I was too comfortable. Like Chicago, I love it. It's an amazing marketing scene. It's an amazing ad scene. It is one of those places where you can be really successful and really comfortable and I wanted to see how far I could push myself. So at you know, 23, 24, I said, I'm out of here. Let's go try something new. And I decided to come to New York. Good for you. I think, I feel like a lot of times we sit too long on those types of decisions. And it's like, you have to remind yourself, you could always go back. Yeah. It's always a, go back. If you, Heidi, if that is the advice out. I was given. That was the yeah. exact advice I was given. It was Chicago, your hometown, or, you know, the place where your roots are, it will always be there. It might look yep. different. And people will change and, you know, the streets might go the opposite way when you go back, but it will always be there. And when you believe in that and believe in yourself, I think the jump becomes a lot easier. hundred percent. That's really good advice. And so tell us a little bit about your journey because for, for everybody listening. So Eddie has a tremendous agency background before joining Chibani and then Magnolia Bakery. So tell us about that move, because that, that's another big leap um, in your career. It definitely was a big leap and a a lot of people trusted me (laughs) in that leap because I am not your standard marketing MBA associate brand manager grow up. Definitely the furthest thing from it. One of my personal life mottos is don't judge the journey. And so I never set a preconceived notion on my career path and and what I was going to try to do and, and moving agency to client or brand and back and forth. And I don't know, maybe I'll be back at agency side one day. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. You can um, always go back. That's going to be like the motto go of this back. <laughs> Yeah. Most, I was reading the titles of the other episodes and bifurcation of marketing channels and omni-channel. This one's going to be like, <laughs> settle in with a cup of tea with Eddie and Heidi and don't judge the journey. You're on the right I love path. It. I love it. Um, no, so I, I started on the agency side, took my first job before I even graduated college. And I was commuting to Chicago to BBDO my senior year, sitting in me meetings with Ziploc and SC Johnson and Illinois Lottery and had a great role in the strategy department there. I then though, I think curiosity has always been, you know, my Achilles heel. And then it's the thing I love about myself the most, but it's also the thing that I hate about myself because 
agencies are awesome, but you really do one thing or you work on a handful of types of clients. And I remember I was like, well, this digital thing seems really big. And this was back in the days, like Facebook apps. And, you know, remember building Facebook apps, anybody listening, I'm sure you do. I thought, oh, wait, why are we doing more digital? I want to do more digital. So I then moved to Digitas in Chicago and, and linked up with my mentor, Brooke Skinner, who's there. And what I realized really quickly was I decided that I was going to be one of those people that um, I jumped at those opportunities when the, when it benefited my toolkit and it benefited my skill set. And I wanted to become a generalist in a lot of things. And so I spent some time doing BBDO, brand building, hardcore agency background, 100-year-old agency, jumped to Digitas, which was really interesting in this merging of the retail space with my client Sprint, plus the digital space, plus B2B, which was really exciting, and then sort of customer journey and then digital journeys. I had the opportunity then to come to New York and work with T3, which was an independent agency out of Austin, where it was like hardcore digital UX, UI, business strategy, consulting. JP Morgan Chase was one of my clients. It was, it was a great experience. And then I landed on the media side because when you work on the creative side of the business, you realize, oh, mm-hmm. media people make all the decisions. <laughs> this is... <laughs> You can pitch every cool idea you want, but if you don't know what media, how media works and how investment works and how strategy works and, and how those decisions get made around that part of the table, you could be the best creative thinker, but if you don't know how it actually works, you're never going to actually be able to sell your ideas all the way through. And so I then had the opportunity to go work with Essence Media and work with the digital team there on Google, which was an amazing experience. And I was able to really just spend some time learning the media side of the business, working with tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in media budget, building awesome content experiences. I shot a TV show with Awesomeness TV for the Android Pixel, the Android phone when it launched. Really got to reimagine media and investment strategy and how we do that. And after some time there, did another agency gig on the design side. So I moved from media to design strategy and design thinking. And that is where I met uh, my other mentor, Leela Mashmire, who went on to become the chief creator officer of Trevani. And that's how I landed over on the, the brand side. But I think long story short, I, you know, agencies are very important. They play a crucial role in the marketing ecosystem and ad ecosystem. But if you, what I really wanted was to be as close to the decision-making as possible and to be close as in that driver's seat as possible. And the best way to get there with your clients is to become the client and be in that position. So I saw the opportunity to go and I just ran at it. And then I was this person inside of a very complex billion dollar company working on brand and client and marketing and in-housing. And I'd never stepped, I'd never been a client before. And so again, a lot of people trusted me. (laughs) Okay. So what made you take that leap to the brand side? Was that another part of your tool belt that you felt you really needed to just gain that experience in? Did it take some convincing? I had to convince myself. (laughs) That was probably the most convincing I had to do. But I, I I really trust Leland and I, I saw him make the jump because he had been primarily on the agency side as agency Collins, which I had the opportunity to work at with him. And what really drove it was building out that skill set and that toolbox. And I say now that the most deadly marketers in the business are people that have spent a little time on the agency side, because I think what it's not just the skill set that you learn, but it's the hustle. It's the imagination, it's the problem solving, it's the navigating complex issues where maybe you only have half the information because your client's only given you half the information. I, I would say that the, I, I hire a lot of agency people now that want to go brand side because I believe in their foundation and what they've done. And the transition, when you support that and you don't set like a preconceived expectation on what does a brand marketer look like or what does an in-house marketer look like, 
when you just look at people and you say, wow, you're doing something that I think we could value, we could find value and it could have impact on the business and could create change in the organization. Come over here and do that and just let them run wild. It's amazing what happened. And, and I think that's where you see a lot of great marketers and, and a lot of great, it's always what's made great agency people. And then when you look at it and you just, if you put them in the environment of a brand with the resources and the information and all that good stuff, um, it becomes a really lethal combination. So I'm really keen on hiring ex-agency people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of my, it's one thing I, I look for when I recruit, if we're recruiting for a role that makes sense there on the team, but it definitely took a lot of convincing on my side. And it also just, it, it took the, I believed them when they said, we want what you're doing. We just want you to do it here. And I said, great. I don't have to pretend to be a brand marketer. I don't have right. to pretend to be this client. I just get to be myself and just do it in an environment that, that, you know, wants that. And so that's where I think my you know, almost five years at Jabani were the most successful was because it was an environment like that. So from Jabani, what was the catalyst for this opportunity for Magnolia Bakery? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah. And I spent almost like four and a half years at Chobani and we were in-house team of the year in 2019. No, we were doing everything agencies do. We were winning awards. We were hiring great talent. We were making great things and putting them into the world. We were driving business and creating impact. And when I had the opportunity, I think COVID, the COVID experience drove some of the reflection where you're in your apartment, you're alone and you start to really think about what's next for you and what you want to be thinking about to do next. And when I took that step back and I thought, what do I value? What, what motivates me? What do I get excited about? Hamdi had this great, Hamdi, the founder of Trevani, had this great saying that we heard about all the time in the walls of Trevani, which was, if you're, if you're going to leave Trevani, just go make magic someplace else. Go do what you can do great someplace else. Don't leave negative. Don't leave on a bad experience. Leave. I always like to leave the top of my game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think the Magnolia opportunity, Magnolia Baker opportunity, it presented exactly all of those pieces. And it was this amazing, it's an amazing beloved brand that's been around for 26 years. Catalyst for growth, especially coming out of COVID and, and those tailwinds that, that existed, created all the opportunity for us to scale and grow. It was about building new teams. It was about rethinking culture. It was about building out new disciplines and, and new business units and new new functions. And I'm a builder. I, I like to build, I like to create and all those things came into place. And, and I always say that there's, I kind of bucket companies in like three chapters. There's like your infants, which I would put a lot of startups in that are, they're fun. They're fun to like look at and, but they're really <laughs> small and they don't have the foundation yet. Then you have like your middle school companies, which are like companies that have been around the block and they've been here for a while and they've maybe got like some of the foundation in place, but they're still figuring themselves out. They don't know where they're going to college yet. And then there's those companies that have like graduated college and they said, this is who we are and this is what we do and this is what we're about. I am most successful in that middle age company, that middle school company. And so Chobani's chapter was changing. They are a $2 billion company. They are a global brand. They required more structure and more everything to be successful, which is where they're at on their trajectory. And while I feel confident I could have been successful in that, I looked at other companies, I was like, no, no, I'm going to go do this again someplace else. And so I like that middle school. I like the acne. I like the 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 little bit of the unknown. And when that opportunity presented itself, I had to jump at it. Um, So it was really motivated by myself and and what Mm -hmm. I was looking to do. I still keep in touch with with everyone from Chobani. I root them on. I still buy the products. I'm so excited about what they're doing. And it's fun to share stories now because I take a lot of the things I learned and I'm applying it to my new role. And I'm able to say, and that's how I also know I think I made the right decision. I can take everything I've learned and apply it and do it better and do it and get new input and get new feedback. And so that's what I'm really excited about over the last year plus here at Magnolia Bakery is 
has been my own growth and my own focus on continuing to push myself on what we've done, but do it in a new environment. And can yeah. I do that? Can it be? And that, the product you went from yogurt to now pudding and other treats, but <laughs> which by the way, for those of you who are not familiar with Magnolia Bakery, when I was super pregnant, my team was so kind and they had sent to my house a big vat of the, the banana pudding. Mm -hmm. And I remember it arriving all packed nice. And when I say a big vat, I'll have to post a picture when we release your episode. It's ginormous, right? Huge thing of banana pudding. I was like, what do they think? I know I'm pregnant, but there's no way I'm going to eat all this. It it did not last very long. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about how the business is set up. You guys are e-com now, but looking to grow in that space. Yeah. Yeah. So we are, we're primarily a retail bakery, which was new for me. Shabani had a couple of cafes here and there, but they were primarily grocery mass retail CPG. And so we've been a retail bakery for 26 years global. We have locations all around the world. We have locations all across the country. 80% of them are in New York city. And so our foundational business is a retail business and we are sharp. We are tight. The, The processes that are in place and the way that we run it is so what you would expect from a 26 year old business. Part of what the, one of the tailwinds coming out of the last couple of years that that the business got excited about was our growth on e-commerce and our direct to consumer business. And so I came on board about a little over a year ago and I came on board to help them stand up our true direct to consumer experience. So we'd always been shipping. We'd been Mm -hmm. shipping through like partner e-com. We'd been doing it for years, but we didn't have that relationship with the customer we weren't, we didn't have as many opportunities that a true direct consumer brand is afforded around like testing and learning and right. customer insight and speed to market. And my, one of my first big projects was to lead the stand up of that and to help optimize sort of the demand, the top of the line, and then partner with our CFO and our supply chain and our production teams on how then does that impact process and optimizations on the below of the line. And so we moved into a whole new facility. We introduced new products. We're working on new packaging, we're building out new channels. And so I think for me, it's really exciting to be driving that part of the business. Direct consumer is important to us. We also still gold belly. We also still like our other partners. We're always exploring new distribution. So it's that same idea of what I learned at Chobani, right? Like distribution is king and queen. You got distribution, mm-hmm. you've got a good business. And for us, D2C will always be our crown jewel. It'll be the thing that we, we hold up the highest, but we're not afraid to distribute and ship and partner with other platforms and marketplaces and and other brands to get more distribution and get our brand out there to more people across the country that might not be in New York, LA, or Chicago. And so I'm really excited about that business and standing up. And just, I'm really excited about the future of what we're building out and and where this brand can go and what it could transform into. Yeah. And with a a brand like Magnolia that has such, such a great story, it's very rooted in a, a local, local story for New York, but it's expanded so much. How do you balance the brand, your focus on brand, and then now with this e-commerce and more of the the uh, transactional side of things. What's your take on that? That's always a hot topic. Yeah, it's it's a constant balancing act. I would say. I think. I guess I would say it like this. I don't know how successful I would be in a peer play direct to consumer brand. Not that I wouldn't be successful and professional in that, but I do think there's a DNA, there's a richness, there's a history, there's a purpose behind. Magnolia Bakery and what we're doing every day. We talk about it as like make today sweeter than yesterday. And for us, having that foundation is so critical to knowing who we are and what we're trying to do as we expand into these future-proof and future-focused channels. And so I think it's not so much like a peer play D2C business, but I think a, a business and a and a company that is that understands who they are and what they're trying to do and why they're doing. You need to have that first before you expand into like all these places and try to do all these things. So it's constantly balancing that with the ambition, with the opportunity, with the new channel. But 
I would say that it's more important to be able to figure out who you are and why you exist. And again, we're a neighborhood bakery. We always will be a neighborhood bakery. You walk into Columbus on the Upper West Side, you walk in the Bleecker and down in the village and it feels familiar. It feels cozy. It feels like you've been there before. The challenge is now like, now that, <laughs> and we know what creates that. How do we replicate it for online? How do we do it for right. people that, that may never meet us, that may never step foot in a bakery? And we're still figuring it out, but it's definitely a challenge, but I, that's why I'm here and that's what I like to do. And on the, the brand side of things, Eddie, you have some exciting things in the works. So tell us what you we, have cooking. Oh, we are baking a lot <laughs> <laughs> over here. So a couple of the things I was really excited about when I joined Magnolia Bakery was there was so much runway for the brand to be brought into 2022 and even beyond. And so one of the first things of the assessment that I went through with the team here was we hadn't really touched the identity in 15 years. And that's a long time. I would say 15 years is about right before the iPhone launched. <laughs> so it's a think about how long ago that was yeah. and how much, how much, even something like the iPhone's impact on our culture and our brands and who we are and what we're about. And for us to be successful as we scaled across the country and across the globe, we needed to become more distinctive. We needed to become more cohesive. We needed to become more consistent in how we showed up as a brand that met this amazing consistent experience you get when you get a banana pudding shipped to you or you try banana pudding or a cupcake in one of our bakeries. Um, and so with that, we embarked on, on a brand refresh and a, an identity over. We brought on a JKR as a partner because I said, if we're going to do this, we're going to with the best brand in the world, we're going to do it with the best company in the world. And I, I believe that JKR is one of them on the design side and the identity side. We brought them on about nine months ago and we said, let's go have at it. We are open-minded. We are excited about what we could be in the future as a company and a brand. And um, it was one of those experiences, I think very doing rebrands and, and rehauls are things that I would say you want to do once every 25 years. <laughs> like you, yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to constantly be touching it. it is, we're in the middle of it right now. I don't want to be feeling like this every day. <laughs> Yeah. Every week. And so when we launched the, we're launching the, the, we're making the announcement on, you know, Wednesday, April 27th of this year, we are, we're really excited. We have a new digitally led and, and digitally native brand mark and word mark that's custom. So we did it custom with JKR. So nobody else can have it. You know, it's a little less ornate than our original mark because mm -hmm. we have to scale it to a uh, shipping label. We have to scale it to uh, Instagram icon or Famicom. Right. Um, and, but we have a whole new brand identity. So a whole new logo, whole new color palette is coming. Just like something refreshed for screens. In 2007, we weren't spending all day looking at our screens. And so now we had to say, okay, how do we refresh this color palette to, to become more distinctive and more iconic for who we are? But we did custom colors. We have Bleecker Street Blue. We have Banana Pudding Yellow. We have Red Velvet Red. We have nice. Green. Again, we kept very true to who we are and what we're about. Uh, and we're introducing patterns and we're introducing just these really distinctive elements that were inspired by our teams going to the bakeries and looking at the floor and saying, oh, man, that's the original tile from 1996. How beautiful is that? How do we preserve that idea in something like an identity? And so the best brand refreshes and identities, I would say, are, are born from an idea that already existed. It's not some crazy new thing that just came out of nowhere. And so hopefully when everyone sees the new identity and starts to experience the new brand and sees the new packaging and the store refreshes as they roll out, it will feel familiar. It will feel mm -hmm. familiar enough where like you might not even notice, which I would say is success. Yeah. And how <laughs> long have you been working on this refresh? So we've been working on the refresh for about nine months from start to finish. We will continue working on the refresh probably for the next 12 to 18 months with the state of supply chain and with the state of materials and with our store openings internationally. 
And with our refreshes that are going to be happening here domestically, we are going to be chipping away at 25 years of legacy and, and updating it over the next 12 to 18 months. So yeah. we always say, I was telling the JKR team, I was telling my team earlier, we, you know, we're having daily huddles where take deep breaths, we let them yeah. out. We talk about like worry. Literally, this is rolling us. out tomorrow, guys. Yes. So <laughs> I'm like, I talk about being humble that Eddie is carving out an hour of his day to spend with us on this podcast when he has, oh my God, a big thing. Oh, happened. I have a great, I have a wonderful team that I trust deeply and they are, they will tell me if something's going wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right exactly. No one bothered me. Um, but yeah, so we were working for nine months, but yeah, I, I was telling the team, I was telling JKR that tomorrow, you know, Wednesday, April 27th, like it is not the end of the refresh and the rebrand and the new Magnolia Bakery. It is the start. Yep. And so with the start comes a lot more hard work, a lot more discipline, but no, we're really excited. I started reviewing some of the store designs for some of our international locations that are opening. And oh my God, if you could see them, they are, it just feels like a cupcake and a banana pudding and a cake all came to a party together. And, <laughs> best party you want to be at. Oh, that's Um, so awesome. Congratulations. I can't wait to see it all. And so when you first started the process nine months ago, were some of those early kind of brainstorms with the agency and your team virtual? Did you guys, or did you mostly get to do it in person? It was a condition of the agency that we worked with. And it was a condition of us aligning as a team to do this project together that we would do it as safely, but as collaboratively as we could. And so we are a physical experience, very physical brand. We are something that you taste, you smell. And so there was no world where we could have done this 100%. And so we did field trips with the teams. We did them in small groups. We would do offsites at the bakeries before collaboration sessions. We would do big conference meetings where we all sat six feet apart, but with the agency together in the room. We were really challenging ourselves to say like, how can we do this safely? And how can we do it in a way that everyone feels comfortable? But a lot of the conversation, a lot of the boards, this is where like, you know, the Collins has rubbed off on me and the Chobani experience has totally rubbed off on me. Like I like seeing it printed on a board. I like being able to go up to it and examine it and sit with it and spend time with it. And it's part of the JKR process too. And so we really trusted the, our partners at JKR in the process also on how they wanted to run it with us and what they needed to go through to get to the best work possible. But yeah, nine months ago was a different world. And it was and the holidays became very challenging, as we know, as the new Omicron variant started to rise, which was right when we were making a lot of decisions. But we were messaging boards back and forth, office to office. We have we have some of the original boards still up over in our little creative workspace over here. We were doing everything and anything we could to make sure it felt collaborative, but also it also felt very much like we were in the world that we were trying yeah. to create. Because as much as I love looking on a screen and looking at it digitally, it doesn't really give you the impact of the world that you are trying to fall into and, and daydream, daydream yourself. And I completely agree with you. I think there's nothing that can replace that, especially when it comes to collaborating creatively. Is there a piece of advice you could offer for marketers today that maybe they're limited or they have to find ways to collaborate virtually? What have you found to work for your team? I had the best piece of advice, treat the new world the way you're treating it with like your family and your friends. It doesn't always have to be a Zoom. It doesn't always have to be an email or a Slack message. There were so many times where I just called our my partner on the agency side, like on the phone, or I'd be like, hey, do you want to FaceTime really quick? Or I went to brunch a couple of times over the weekends with the ECD just to hang out and have dumplings in Chinatown. It's just her and I talking yeah. through the project. And so I think, I think there's a lot of pressure right now to define like what collaboration means and what the, and how do you do work like this virtually and digitally? Yep. 
And the best, the best advice I could say is just approach it like you are how you're navigating the rest of your relationships. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, when you need to talk to your parents, you need to talk to your best friend. You're not like, can I schedule a 30 minute Zoom with you at this you're day? You're so it's, right. It's so it's formal. Like a, yeah. It's a quick text. It's a quick text. It's a quick picture. It's a quick Instagram story. Like we were sharing inspiration, like via Instagram DMs. We were like, yeah. oh, see this. This is really interesting. We love this idea. We love this world. And so my advice is just embrace how you change and your communication just with your friends, your family, your own personal relationships and bring the best of that to how you collaborate with uh, the people you work with. Because I think we're, we're in this chapter of like, everything was super formal. Like if I had to do another Zoom happy hour, I was done. I was out, like no more. And I think what, what really clicked for me is I have one of the people I, I used to work with who, I'm very, who was on my team. Like she and I had this like crazy thing. Like I would just call her on a walk home. And I'd be like, hey, how you doing? How's work? What's I'm checking in. It was like our weekly catch up, but it was like yeah. just me taking a walk. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that, that's the advice I give is just be yourself and how you communicate best and how you collaborate best. You do it every day with your friends and your family. Bring that same sort of trust that you're working relationships and how you do it. I love that. That's really good advice. Life exists outside of Zoom and Slack. I think that's a good, no, good reminder. <laughs> 100%. So, so Eddie, talk, just before we move on from your career journey, has there been any, we like to talk about the, uh, the oh shit moments. Have you had mm -hmm. any moments either in your job or maybe just along your career path where you've made transitions where you felt like you either had a big failure moment or just really something didn't go to plan? Uh, this is such a perfectly timed question for me because you know, if you know anything about me, LinkedIn is my favorite social network. <laughs> I am all about it. And an old mentor actually posted, she wrote a Medium article and it showed up on my LinkedIn feed. And I think the, like when you can read something that feels so true about you and it had nothing to do with you, you're like, oh my God, what have I been missing? And so these are her words, not mine, but it resonates so much with me because I think it encompasses generally like all the failures that I've had over my career, which is this idea of, I've always been very focused on going further. And when I say the pandemic, I reflected a lot during the pandemic of my career. It was one of those moments where I was able to take a step back because I was forced to slow down. You were forced, you were literally forced and, and told to slow down during the pandemic. You couldn't leave your apartment. You do everything you wanted to do. And so this idea that Brooke had, Brooke had uh, shared in her Medium article where she's always been focused on going further faster, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like every mistake I've made in my career was where I was moving too fast. And I was trying to go as far as I could, as fast as I could, and I just missed something. And I think that to me is really notable in my career because I've been really fortunate and I don't know how it's happened, but I've made it to a point in my career a lot faster than other people that I look at in my peer set. And for me, it's humbling, but it's also, did I do it the right way? Did I, did I leave a job too early? Did I not take the project that I wanted to work on? Did I not spend enough time doing what I wanted to do and more focused on what people expected of me? And so I, I really reflect on this idea of, of going, you know, further, faster. And if that is a good thing or a bad thing. And to me, it encompasses a lot of my failures of my career. And Brooke in her article, as I was reflecting on it with her, she said she wished that she spent more time growing on purpose. And I was like, there it is again. <laughs> I was mm -hmm. like, there is what I should have been focused on in my career. So I, I think I've done as much as I could and will continue to do a focus on what motivates my ambitions, what motivates my vision, what motivates my purpose and my growth versus what others might expect to see in me. And those are, again, those are Brooke Skinner's words. She's awesome. She's in Chicago. Love her. But it's one of those things where you read it and you're just like that 
is mm-hmm. me. <laughs> you know, I was like, are you writing this about me? That's um, really good advice. And speaking of learning, I, I want to real quick ask you about this brand refresh that you're about to welcome into this world. If you look back on the past nine months, is there anything that you know now today, right? Day before launch that has been a learning for you? Uh, maybe something you may have done a little differently looking back. Mm. How important the team is that you work with on these projects. It sounds obvious, but we did a very big RFP for this project. We talked to a lot of agencies. We felt very good about a lot of, but, and this will be, this will come out as people connect the dots, but Lisa Smith, who ran the Chobani rebrand with me and Leland and the team at Chobani is now the ECD of JKR. And I I don't know if I trust anybody more <laughs> to, oh, awesome. to take this on with me. And I think that was a big reflection point because when I look back on the experience the last nine months, I don't think I could have been as direct with anybody else. I don't think anyone else could have been as plugged in on the EQ and the empathy side of reading the signals between us as we were talking about reviews or looking at like really hard things. And when push came to shove, Lisa usually won. <laughs> And, but it was because I trust her so much in this process and I always eat my words and there was something we shot recently. And I was like, I'm so glad you pushed us to do it this way because you you trust the process. And so I think looking back, it's always like when you take on these big projects and you're surrounding yourself with collaborators and, and, and people that are going to go on the journey with you, really believing in what they do and their superpowers and getting yourself out of the way of it is what makes them the most fun and most successful. I love that. I, I, it's and same true for your team. Like when we first started this call before we started recording and I told Eddie, feel free to run if there's a fire and you need to do something for this reboot. He's like, oh, the team's got it. Like the, the, in, the trust that you just exude is very apparent for your entire team. And I think that's just so, um, you cannot go through these big projects and feel good about them without people you trust around yeah. you. Trust um, is, trust is never a deliverable in an SOW or a nope. project scope. And it's, you have to trust yourself. You have to trust your teams. You have to trust your collaborator because they're scared. These projects are scary. We haven't done this for 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> this is a right. It's not an everyday a... thing. So it's no. you're doing new things. And I think you make a good point, Eddie, with the agency. And again, our teams remember what you hire people for. Remember why you brought on that agency. Remember why you brought on that individual on your team because that's their superpower. That's what they're contributing to the to the work every single day. So I think that's yep. a, that's really good. And talking about skills and what you look for, is there any Anything that you would say is, let's say you had to hire for one thing and one thing only, what would you look for? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. (laughs) It's not though, because I used to spend a lot of time teaching. I do a little bit less of it now, but I used to spend a lot of time teaching on the side and at nights and I could, I would always look at students and I would say I would hire, and I've actually hired some, actually, we just did a freelance project with one of them. And what I always go for is, is someone that is so confident in what they can do and what they can contribute and what they can bring that I'm okay if I know they're going to mess up because they're, they have the confidence to push through it and grow from it. And so it's not look, I never look for the person that's exactly what to do with hundred percent of the information can do it perfectly. I look for the person that I say, do you have the confidence? Do you have the potential to, when you hit a snag, when you hit a failure, are you going to be someone that picks yourselves up and just keeps rushing and moving and, and getting the thing done? Or are you someone that's going to wallow in it and say, mm-hmm. oh, like Eddie, Eddie gave me, Eddie gave me bad feedback on the homework assignment. And now I just don't like, I love the students that I connected with 
I connect with all my students, but the ones I connect with the most are the ones that we'd have like late night discussions about the homework assignment, about the presentation of the project. And they would keep pushing me yeah. <laughs> They would because they were so confident in their idea or confident in the genesis of it. But they're like, help me be better. You're giving me this feedback. Help me do it better. And so I think I, I look for that as a as something in a lot of people is do they have the confidence in themselves to pick themselves up and to, to continue to be successful and grow and challenge themselves and challenge the people around them? Because that's what we do every day at work. I love my team when they come into me and they say, You're, we're going to try it this way. Or they don't even tell me and they do it. And then they <laughs> come and tell me how it went. It shows passion. I think yes, that's, a, yeah, it's, it's, and we're always going to encounter failure moments and things that it's like, oh, that really didn't go as planned, but it's what you do with that information to your point that matters more than the failure. So that that's amazing. I, I think I when it comes to the CMO role and given you have such a diverse background, all, all the things you've gathered along the way in your in your tool belt, is there anything that you see evolving in the role of the CMO, like in the next say five to 10 years? Is there anything you see that will be a big change from what we see currently? Oh my goodness. You're trying to get me to like word vomit all the ad lingo. I thought it's like, if you're playing ad bingo, get ready. No, I think you never played bingo at conferences. Oh my God. So much. Oh, but that'd be a fun, that'd be a fun ad. We should do it. Yeah. We should do it at brand week. Okay. I'll tell the Um, team. So anyway, so I digress. I got so much is going to change. It's really crazy. I, I'll say this. I think the best CMOs that I know and that I look to and that I follow for advice and, and look to grow with, they position themselves really well as a lieutenant. I am not the CEO. I don't really want to be the CEO. CEO is a tough job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might not be for me, but I love debating with my CEO. I love designing and architecting and thinking of crazy ideas with my CEO and how we're going to grow and evolve and, and capture demand and, and build our category. And so for me, over the next five to 10 years, I hope that the CMO role can become more confident in themselves as a lieutenant mm-hmm. to, the, mm-hmm. to their teams, whether it's the chief technology officer or the CEO or the chief people officer, because CMO is going to continue to work with a lot of stakeholders and be responsible for a lot of those touch points. And I think for me, I, I say lieutenant because I'm very much against the silo approach. I'm very much against like marketing as a silver bullet that lives over here and runs Mm -hmm. everything or controls it. I view it as a lieutenant to say, okay, I turn to my team and I say, you are not responsible for this. Go make it happen across the company. Mm -hmm. Um, Go create this change. Go help people understand the value of this. Go educate teams or people on what we're trying to do. And it's very much in my mind, like a lieutenant. So I think over the next like five to 10 years, I would just love to see the CMO role grow into that that lieutenant role, whether it's with that, whatever stakeholder, CEO, chief people, chief tech, mm-hmm. chief information, chief sales, chief demand, chief growth, whoever it is. But I think that those are going to be the most successful ones that can really position themselves as a, as a lieutenant to the organization and to the company. Because you get, you get marketers have a lot of resources in companies. They have a lot of they have a lot of ability to change the tide and change the narrative and change the direction. And with that power comes that responsibility to say, are you tied into your leadership? Are you tied into the rest of the team, the rest of your group? And then what you as a lieutenant are going to go do about it. But yeah, that to me, that to me, that's what I'm most excited about the next five to 10 years is as the marketplace changes and as ads change and as all the, everything that is every piece of ad lingo you can imagine continues to change. The consistency is to play that really good role for your company. Yeah, you're so right. No other role experiences as much change as the yeah. CMO. That's really good. I, I like that. So Eddie, we're coming up on time. You have a rebrand to get to. Okay. So I'm going to get you off of this podcast, but first I have a couple of quick fire questions for you. You already stole one of mine, by the way, you said, oh, I did? Uh, yeah, yeah. You answered. I was going to ask you what your favorite social media network was. So you said LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn. hundred. Okay. So I'll jump into the others. Okay. Favorite streaming platform. 
Oh, only because I love Severance right now, Apple TV. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, nice. Would you rather go to a Broadway show or a rock show? Broadway show. What's your favorite movie? Oh, you know what? Because my partner just yelled at me for laying on the couch watching it again, the Harry Potter series. <laughs> oh, we just, we just rewatched them. They're amazing. And then last question, you are stuck on a, a desert island and you can only have one dessert for the rest of your life. What is it? Oh, this is a really good one. I would say, and they've changed formulation over the years. So I'm going to go back to the nineties. I would take the nineties formulation of Baskin Robbins, peanut butter and chocolate ice cream. Ooh, I remember that. Distinctly. Oh, it was, wasn't it good? It was, that was so like every good. Friday night we would go to Baskin Robbins. So, so yeah. Good. Oh, that's awesome. And then, okay. This is truly the last one. I promise our classic, if talent and money were of no object, you had all of it in the world, Eddie, what would you be doing? I would be running a hotel in South America. (laughs) That is incredibly random and awesome. Any particular reason? Uh, It's my favorite continent to visit and to travel and explore. It has everything, but I would definitely set up like a hotel in Jose Ignacio in Uruguay. Oh, and cool. just like, like a bed live. and breakfast uh, yeah small like, just like, a, like a small little like small boutique hotel I remember I was traveling through Chile and uh I met the owner of one of the hostels we were staying at and he's like oh yeah I used to do like finance in New York and I said I'm over it and I'm here and I've been here 10 years and I'm like what is this life <laughs> so uh maybe maybe one day soon you'll if you're ever on a road trip through South America you might find a little hotel run by a crazy ex-marketer. <laughs> I love it. And remember our saying, you can always go back if it doesn't work out. So yep. might as well try. All right, Eddie, thank you so, so much. As I suspected, I had a lot of fun talking to you and I can't wait to release this and share all of the, the brand work that you and your team have, have put forth over the past couple of months. So we'll share that with everyone. And thanks for stopping by the show. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take soon. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, we'd love your help in sharing CMO moves with one of your friends or colleagues. And please also be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. Better yet, leave us a review while you're at it. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 